0: Lauren, it's our last episode of 2020. We quit the podcast after this. That's the long-term plan, goal. No, we,
1: we are not quitting this podcast. We will be amateur podcasters till the day they shovel us into our graves unceremoniously.
0: I'm not making any personal goals for myself in 2021. I'm over it. I have plenty of journals that read 2020 is going to be my year. And you know what? I'm just I'm sick of hoping. So I'm hopeful for pop apologists. And we're just gonna leave my personal life and personal success up to the universe.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, with pop apologists, at least there are like actual things you can do to try to grow mm-hmm. whereas with your personal life it's more just like you might as well just let go and let god
0: at this point yeah divine intervention is what's needed i'm doing the bare minimum of manifesting i'm just like just let me get through another 365 days please like uh, somewhat unscathed Hmm. um well a little
1: bit on the pop but going back to pop apologists if you're listening to this if you don't mind, write us a review on iTunes or and even more importantly, share the podcast with your friends. I think yeah. we we have hit a little bit of a plateau in terms of growth. If you
0: wouldn't mind working a little soft for us on our <laughs> behalf, please share this with a single friend. Not you don't share have to share it with 5, you don't have to share it with 10, just share it with one.
1: Yeah. We would and I'm going to put up I'm going to start putting up more postable or shareable content. And so if if you would be so kind as to share one of the clips we put up, like the hot water lemon clip, if you like that or anything, it's just super, super helpful. And that really is how the podcast grows is when people organically
0: share it with their friends. So a plug. That's our our plug. plug. Makes me sick doing any sort of plug. But oh, also one last plug. You guys, this, these are the final days. These are the last days, if you will, of signing up for the Patreon and getting a sweet special surprise or whatever. We're going to... Everyone who signs up before January 2nd, like literally January 1st, 1159, that's the deadline. So that's you have to sign up. And we'll send you a sweet special s- soliloquy surprise. You can still sign up there after. You just won't get the
1: spe- the cornily termed special surprise in the mail. <laughs> so if you want the little trinket, what this personal special even surprise... even feels like a,
0: too big of a word. It's not a, quite a trinket either.
1: But if you do want it then you have to sign up before January 1st at midnight. Yeah. Not New Year's Eve, but the day after. Because January 2nd is when we are – or January 3rd, that time period. We have to get them ready on January 2nd. We're mailing them out January 3rd. Then I'm deporting from the continental United States. And who knows when we could do another run of them. Who so. knows?
0: Like, I might not even see Lauren ever again.
1: I love on these On the soil. We- I love how we frame this as you have to sign up before Lauren leaves to Puerto Rico because otherwise there's no way you could get them whereas you honestly could still send them out.
0: Mm-mm, it's not in my job description. But
1: I don't think you would do it.
0: Yeah, like I said, I'm I'm all about working soft that would require some above and beyond specialty for me and something I don't I don't possess.
1: Yeah. So, you really just you got to sign up. Now and if you don't, that's totally fine. You can still sign up thereafter. It's just you won't get the special surprise in the mail. Correct. Gosh, honestly, okay, you guys, we got a bad review for starting at the Patreon. Someone had the audacity to give us three stars and write that we started the Patreon a little early because we started it <laughs> six or seven months. I think it was like seven or eight months actually into our podcast. So I actually feel very self-conscious about plugging the Patreon. Oh, God. Leave us, a,
0: leave us a negative review or leave us a positive review. Just leave us a review at the very at least. At least people
1: are making their voices heard. Yeah. Chandler, mom also says that when we talk about the Patreon and mm-hmm. ask people to sign up, it's very baggy.
0: Oh. oh. She's feeling like all of
1: a twist right now. She's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right.
0: All right. Let's get into less baggy, less desperate content.
1: We did have some QA oh yes so let's do that really quick okay this woman writes dear listener writes what's the craziest thing you've taken from a hotel room for me it was a vase in Paris
0: Uh, (laughs) was this when we were in Paris with mom no no the re- listener wrote, for me, it was a vase. In oh, I thought it was. When I read that, I was like, you? I was like, Lauren, when the hell? I feel like you would have gotten some mileage out of that story, and I've never heard yeah. it. So, Guys, Our listener stole a vase. I will come clean about something. I am incredibly afraid of any sort of run-in with the police. Like Lauren said, I definitely feel like I would curtsy to a policeman. In fact, one time I was in Switzerland on a study abroad, and Faith, my best friend, encouraged me to steal like a miniature, like, thing of sushi or maybe it was scissors I don't know some sort of miniature device or like trinket tchotchke and she's been known to collect a tchotchke or two herself so she was trying to encourage me to collect you know some of my own and steal them and she sat there with me in the store for probably five minutes trying to convince me to steal it there were no metal detectors there was literally one lowly Wait, clerk and a lot of faith yeah
1: tried to get you to steal from a store
0: yeah from like a, a gift shop in like in the alps I think. Yeah, I was in the Alps. Sorry. Really I've been shocking. all over Switzerland. It's really hard this to really remember. This is really I know. No, you. she's like, Faith got kicked out of EFY. She's like way more of a daredevil than I ever was or ever will be. And I just really couldn't do it. I, w- I was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. And then 20 seconds later, I was like, I can't do this. I'm walking out.
1: You know how like you meet a guy and he, or I don't know if you've ever met a guy like this, but he casually shoplifts in front of you. And nope. it's like his like
0: have never met a guy. Let's make that super clear. I've never been with someone or met someone who casually shoplifts. And Faith okay, doesn't even well, casually shoplift for the record.
1: It seemed like she was trying to get you to casually shoplift.
0: I think she was trying to get me to you know get out of my shell, if you will
1: wow that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting little experiment um no no no, like in high school a guy that i was dating like casually stole something from albertson's basically seeming like too cool to stand in line to pay just like who cares is this a
0: guy who's now a successful like the face of what's the jean brand j brand is he now the face of j brand jeans
1: do i have an ex-boyfriend who's the face of j brand
0: yeah Him and his current girlfriend are the face of J-Brand. No offense. Oh, really? (laughs) Oh, my gosh.
1: No, it's not that ex-boyfriend. Now I realize who you're talking about. No, it's not him. It's another one. And... I will say that it's quite the transition from when you stop being turned on by men who steal things and you start being turned on by men who just pay for things. I mm-hmm. mean, wow. Mm-hmm. That's okay. called that's called growing up.
0: I'm really proud of you for growing up. I actually never had to outgrow that or grow up out of that, <laughs> thankfully. I Yeah, I actually just mostly dated guys who got mad at me for saying the word hell. So, Ooh, yeah. Rough. Rough.
1: Um, Okay, wait, so go back. Sorry, I think I rudely interrupted. No, I mean,
0: that's really the story. I just, like, so the idea of stealing something from a hotel that has my credit card information on file, probably my face on some sort of, like, high-speed or high-tech security camera, like, absolutely not. I could never steal anything from a hotel.
1: Yeah, I am not one to steal in any way. I'm just not. uh, I don't know
0: why, like, but you did actually, you brought back some hotel robes, but those were bought.
1: Yes. So that's the story I wanted to tell. So I went to China for the first time when I was 27 and I like went to like rural industrial China because I was working at that time for a Chinese factory or my boss was like the head of it. And so I went to the Chinese factory. I went all around Shanghai at the most amazing time. I really like, it was incredible. And I should have, what I should have done was brought home something that was like even 1% reminiscent or indicative of right of the culture yeah of the culture exactly but for me my the best part of that trip was staying at the St. Regis and I really enjoyed their robes and I was like (laughs) you know what the best thing in China is these St. Regis robes and so I bought (laughs) six of them and brought them home in my suitcase for my entire family it was like a truly you've never worn it no, it, they are worn to this day. Oh
0: yeah, they are worn to this day. Every apartment that I moved into, I immediately hang my four ropes on the back of the <laughs> on the back of the bathroom door and my roommates probably get annoyed, but I don't care. This is who I am and I treasure that robe with all my heart. Thank Thank who brings back that type of bulky item for their friends and family? I, I mean- wouldn't
1: I, w- I remember getting home telling you guys all about China and then being like, and I have a surprise for you. The best part of this whole trip really was my stay in this luxury hotel. Ugh, anyway. So nice. So nice. But I did pay for them. So
0: yeah, like stealing just isn't really my thing.
1: Yeah, same. Okay. Next question. How to share what you spend on clothes with your spouse? I use my slush fund six years married.
0: I can't speak to this. I'm not going to let Lauren lead this question because I don't have a, I'm just not in a position to like understand this.
1: Well, Kagan and I have separate finances completely. And we have always really split things 50 50, but that's changing. So, with the move to PR, Kagan's paying for basically 90% of everything, and I'm contributing, but I'm not going to be like paying half the rent anymore or anything like that. So, I do think that now we're kind of, we're not, our finances aren't tied to, our finances aren't so like equal 50 50 doesn't matter what I spent like even when it was I was paying half of everything even with that when he would find out the money I would spend on clothes he would still judge me for it yeah which is funny
0: because you wouldn't I feel like you would never tell him like oh you don't need to buy that xbox nonsense
1: yeah I wouldn't tell him oh you don't need to spend three thousand dollars on this like on this chair that you're that you want to buy or whatever
0: right I just feel like women in general don't unless your husband is like a big spender or into like you know going to Brookstone every week to buy new gadgets I feel like women in general don't really question their husband's spending
1: yeah unless your husband is truly a big spender exactly you don't yeah. really question them because most guys aren't big spenders like they might spend a lot on toys or a car but they're not like going out and they're not spending four hundred dollars on a top yeah. or a dress and so, yeah, Kagan, I just – I don't tell him what my clothes cost, and he doesn't ask. But I do think it would be interesting, like, now that we're moving into this territory where he's now, like, paying for much more of everything. Right. And so, like, we're kind of honestly verging into this territory mm-hmm. where he's paying for mostly everything. Yeah. And it is going to be interesting. Like, now – before, I would have just skated around the issue, and but I would have been upfront if he had just asked me how much something costs. But now I'm like, okay – Am I going to be upfront about the fact that I'm, I bu- I bought something that was super expensive? Are right. so you going to now think like, if you bought that, that was super expensive, you clearly have enough to be like contributing more I to mean, the household finances. Right.
0: And this is true not just with spouses. Like, I remember when mom and dad were paying for my life. If I bought myself something really nice, a new jacket or something that was a big ticket item over $100, like, I couldn't ask mom and dad for money if they knew about it. Because I know they'd be like, you just bought yourself that. So clearly, you don't need that much money from us
1: yeah it's such a tricky situation, Super regardless tricky. of who like the person who I guess like it holds the purse strings or is the primary financier of your life is yeah and honestly, I think what makes it like doubly annoying and I don't know if our this listener has this same situation, but I know Courtney does like Wyatt and Kagan could not care less about like the things that Courtney and I think are pretty and that happen uh-huh. to be really expensive uh-huh. and like when we invest in a really great piece. Like, Kagan's attitude is like, this is stupid. Like, it has too many details. It's too flamboyant. Kagan likes things that are so subtle and just very simple right. and understated. It's like a lose-lose because you Not pay a lot of the money for something. Yeah,
0: and they don't appreciate it even.
1: Yeah, you get in trouble for the price and for the way the piece looks. And I just think that this is probably something that a lot of people, especially with what's currently trending now style-wise, which is like mm-hmm. a lot of statement pieces, I think this is probably like the plight of – fashionable women everywhere in long-term relationships and I I have no solution for it I would say keep spending from the slush fund and keep it on the DL (laughs) Ah, just tell just tell your fiance or your husband that Ula Johnson is an H&M like
0: line right it's like a forever 21 Isabel Marant is like a Zara sister brand right yeah I think you, you're you probably just going to have fundamentally different outlooks and it's probably not an issue that's going to get resolved with a pretty bow. Right. Just tell people what they want to hear and do what you want, as Paris Hilton would say.
1: Yes, exactly. Okay, the final question we have is why the move to Puerto Rico? Um, oh, for me?
0: Oh, I can to this.
1: <laughs> Kagan is was insisted that we move there because they have 0% taxes on capital gains and 4% income tax. What's funny about it is that I was telling Chandler because like Kagan and I very much live like a normal, like I would say late 20s. Now, I guess I'm 30 life. Like we don't like, we don't live lavishly. And so to be like, oh, I'm moving to Puerto Rico for taxes. Like it's just so a little bit ridiculous. Right. And I think there's a part of me that's like doing it. And I'm like, fingers crossed, this all works out. Yeah. And I was joking with Chandler. I was like, Chandler, we better come back loaded or else it's going to be like, everyone's going to be like, remember the time they went to Puerto Rico for tax purposes? <laughs>
0: to just make the same amount of money they would have made here.
1: Yeah. And I just think it's like a <laughs> hilarious and ridiculous answer. Yeah, so it totally is. The fact of the matter is, is, it's all pretty ambiguous even to me, but Kagan thinks that he is going to have some some you know nice business success in the next three years that he wants to cash in on a hundred percent and doesn't want to pay half to the government, and so we're moving there for financial purposes. But I think there's also like we just want an adventure. Like yeah. I, I am so ready to not live where I was born for the rest of my life mm-hmm. and not settle down in Orange County. Like I'm ready mm-hmm. for an adventure. I think we also know we want to start having kids. We're going to start the process in two years. Mm -hmm. And so I think we want to like do a lot of traveling between now and then. Right. Just to have a lot of fun. Yeah. And so I think that this is like a Puerto Rico is a good place. It's a good little hub because you can travel to a lot of different places. Right. It's like midway between the West Coast and Europe.
0: Does this mean you're going to be like a... I don't even know what the, the Hilaria, the Hillary to Hilaria transition is for Lauren, the name Lauren, but are you going to be like, I am Orange County born, but I am Puerto Rican raised. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for this transition for you.
1: I'm already planning my heritage transition, if you will. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. I'm, I'm so excited it. for this journey. <laughs> Where are you from? Actually, I've lived in France, but I'm primarily from Puerto Rico. <laughs> oh, really? 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 I went to Puerto high Rico?
0: school with you in, in, in Orange <laughs> County. So interesting, Laguna Niguel's high, or middle school.
1: Just the most basic, like, white chick right. of, like, <laughs> locales. Utah County and Orange County are oh. where I spend the most majority of I'm my life. I'm pretty sure
0: you worked at the Pete's Coffee in Laguna Niguel. <laughs> interesting. And,
1: com- and communal in Provo, Utah. Really, you're right. from France and Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: But you speak neither Spanish nor French. <laughs> See, that's where – this is the issue, you guys. That's where my cultural transition will fail completely because I don't have the work ethic to learn Spanish, to really drive it home. I can't even pretend I don't know the English word for something because I'm not going to be able to revert to another language. All right, you guys. So sorry. Chandler and I had a technical issue. Our software stopped recording us for the last part of that conversation. So this is going to be a whiplash of a transition, but we're going to move right ahead to – our final segment of the hour and we get into all things the crown with our dear friend andrew who happens to be a low-key royal historian so without further ado
0: All right. We didn't exactly give you a heads up about this, but here it is. Here's your heads up. We are joined by our dearest friend, Andrew Hansen, today on the pod. But anywho, let's get into it. Let's start with a little bit of our history, where we all began.
1: I'd love to say we brought Andrew on the pod today because... I just watched season four of The Crown, and I just had this glorious Sunday. I watched season four from start to beginning, and then I wanted to talk about it, of course, on the podcast.
2: Right. And
1: Andrew had told me, he had texted me and asked if we were going to be talking about The Crown on the podcast, and he said that he's like a royal, he's like a secret royal historian.
3: I'm not a historian. I'm just like a. This is the reason that I know anything about the royal family, and specifically, like uh the you know the english monarchy
2: okay. is
3: i have you know i'll you know be going to bed and a wikipedia article or two just really puts me to sleep and <laughs> I, I guess i'm not like setting this up to be like i love the royals <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're like i look but. for stuff that really bores me <laughs> yeah
3: i'm looking for something to just send me right to snooze town. <laughs> but i am honored and gibson also made me uh, promise that I would mention his name at least once because he just <laughs> likes to be famous adjacent. But it gives me a great honor to be the first friend in the pleasure thread grouping that gets to be on the pod. I just want to gloat about that mm-hmm. for just one second.
0: Like I just feel. you should, over let's the take a moment. Gibson so. will never be on this podcast as long as I'm alive.
2: <laughs> for the rest, <record. laughs>
1: we have a group thread amongst. Some of our dearest friends, Andrew. So, how we know Andrew? Andrew is a longtime family friend, originally friends with our oldest sister, who people are very curious about. Andrew, people are like, Who is this mercurial, mysterious, Uh ethereal, enigmatic older sister that we have talked about ad nauseum? And Andrew actually was first friends with her.
2: She was the first friend I made
3: when I moved to
1: Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah, and Andrew, can you attest that our oldest sister, Ash, is truly just as sublime and I would say like special as we've alluded to?
3: Oh, I don't even think you guys have the great power of description, and I don't think there's a way to accurately and honestly capture and then also describe the energy (laughs) that is Ash. Like when any of us say like she can take any topic and instantly know twelve thousand percent more than you. Always. Yeah. It just has the most interesting. Speak about it at
1: twelve X speed. Yeah. Yes,
3: and then also have a hot take about it that you're like, wait, nobody's (laughs) ever thought that, and you're also correct. (laughs) Like what? Yes.
1: Exactly.
3: So fascinating, so stunningly beautiful. Honestly, just the personification of a beautiful fairy.
0: Truly. She is. And she even admitted while being, while we recently saw her, that she would never deign to listen to this podcast. <laughs> so you just see the juxtaposition of high and low there.
2: Oh, She's yeah.
1: like, what do you guys have to teach me? What new things could I learn by listening to your podcast? She's like, I right. just think it's weird that people want to listen to begin with.
0: She said she literally cringes she would- at the thought of Lauren and I having some sort of content <laughs> platform.
3: Having something to say.
0: Yes, (laughs) exactly. Like it literally makes her like lose her lunch.
3: Yeah, because Ash is also the person that says twelve thousand things by saying nothing.
2: Mm -hmm. She Mm -hmm. is,
3: in a sense, tie in our very queen. Yeah, she says it all by saying nothing and doing nothing. It's
1: true. She definitely (laughs) knows the power of restraint. Mm -hmm.
3: But yeah, so I've been able. So I. Courtney was my first friend and then I was very good close friends with Ash when she lived there as well and then became friends with Lauren and Chandler. I have been like at a somewhat of a honorary brother to all of these sisters. Yes. So, Absolutely. Bledsoe's are my favorite. So. We love you. Yes,
0: we love, love,
3: love you so much. so
1: much and at one point we all worked together yes. at communal and it was an iconic time of our lives. We had so <sighs> much fun. We really yeah bonded and grew together during that time and the friends that we made during that experience i would say are like true lifelong family friends yes. like they're yeah. not just friends like family and that when we refer to the pleasure thread we're talking about the a text message thread with that group of people
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yep true
1: so so we're honored to have you as the first member of the pleasure thread well, welcome welcome
2: Okay, okay well, but
1: you're not here because you worked at Communal and are part of the Pleasure Thread. You're here <laughs> as a royal historian, oh. deserving of that title or not. I guess we'll. the next um, little segment will bear <laughs> that out.
3: Yeah, so I'll just make sure that I have a Wikipedia tab open.
1: Yeah, just don't <laughs> fall asleep. Don't fall asleep.
3: Yeah.
1: That would be smart. Okay, can I get general thoughts on this season from both of you?
3: I love The Crown as a TV show. I would say this is the weakest season so far. Oh, interesting. Okay. A
0: hot take if I've ever heard one. Okay. Yeah.
3: Here's the thing. <clears throat> so I've, I'm looking at like the, the pages, like the season pages right now. And I just think that the way, I, I know that we're producing a drama, right? But I just don't buy, I, I like I, I just feel like they made, like they, they're like, we need a villain. It's Charles, right? And so- And I know that he was absolutely awful to her, but that also was much more of a two-way street. And maybe this will come out in another season, but I just got tired of their, like the last, I remember watching the last episode where they're like screaming at each other. And I'm just like, I'm so tired of the two of you. Mm -hmm. I'd much rather watch anything else. And really my most favorite episode of the season was the seventh episode, the Hereditary Principle, where they're really not around. Where Margaret goes and finds out about her family, and it really just highlights like the lengths to which the crown, as a as an institution, will go to protect itself. Like right. when the queen mother is explaining at the end, like we couldn't have this; there would be no trust. It just was like they were willing to just do anything, anything to protect themselves.
0: Lauren, as we made our descent into New York, you know, from our beloved Guana Island trip, mm. I got excited thinking about
1: Not to zoom out and get macro, but I actually read a really interesting article in The Atlantic about the way, not gender screening, but like birth issue, like birth defect, Down syndrome, like screening for those, like natal screenings for those syndromes, like what you can screen for is essentially eliminating them, like from the face Mm. of the earth. And people don't, I think a lot of people don't know that people with Down syndrome can live like totally, like they can have jobs, yes. they can have relationships, they can have right. the experience, mm-hmm. like they're totally people, which it sounds right. like a horrible thing to even have to point out. Right. But what's interesting is because now women are screening for them in, in utero, most women over 90% or I think 95% are opting to not have those children. Mm-hmm. And right. though those people are essentially eliminated. So I think as a human species, we're essentially doing what, or at least in, in, in the Western world, were essentially doing what the royal family did, which is if the royal family didn't eliminate those people, but they hid them. They yeah. had a sort Removed of elimination. Them from the situation. Yeah, exactly. Which is super sad
3: and, and horrible.
0: I thought that episode was, like, unbelievable to watch. Like, yeah. I, I had no idea. Zero idea. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. I didn't either. I did know, so there are a lot of, if you dig into reading about Royal families at night in mm-hmm. the comfort sure. of your bed, as one mm-hmm. does. There are tons of examples of mental disorders and mental health issues, also physical, you know, disabilities and deformities. Right. Because the other thing, when you dig into these histories, all of these families are related to each other. Exactly, oh, it's like, all like they our, have yeah, been breeding. Yeah, it essentially mm-hmm. is that. A lot of these are a result of you know, hundreds and hundreds of years first cousins.
1: Yeah. yeah, might as well be like. Colorado City type like
3: interbreeding. <laughs> it basically is, but with more money and less poor.
0: For those of you who don't understand that reference, that's a reference to the FLDS cult and their biggest population, which resides in Colorado City.
1: FYI. Yeah, and the fact that there's there's a certain illness you get from inter from inbreeding essentially and from being too closely related. And that it's like the highest percentage of people with that disorder in the world is in Colorado City.
0: Oh my gosh! Wait,
1: but I okay, know. I want to say that when when the Queen Mother was talking to Princess Margaret and saying that they couldn't tell anyone about these two family members because they didn't want anyone to question the nobility of their bloodline, I just thought, bitch, like none of you are hot. Like we've right. been questioning it from the beginning. Like right, <laughs> cap out of the bag.
3: It kind of highlights I mean, she said something like that the bloodline is just hangs by such a precarious thread. And it's like, yeah, they're only royal because they continue to say they are. Exactly. Right. And people exactly. just they go with it.
0: They continue so, to breathe like they are. Yeah. The
1: monarchy really, in my opinion, it's just a continuation of yes, it is a tradition. It does give people like some sort of entertainment value to watch and it does provide some sort of continuity but it's totally unnecessary and i think what they're saying is by protecting the monarchy they're protecting their own basically crazy entitlement to a lifestyle that is like absurd and also it's protecting all the jobs that are tied up in it like the people that work for them all of the i think princess diana referred to them as like men in gray suits all of that all of the courtiers the modern day courtiers They're just trying to protect their own bureaucratic establishment that pays for their lifestyles too.
3: Yeah. You know, though, so like in that episode, and I want to talk about more of this, but all of those like ladies in waiting, like all of the Queen's friends that were there when Margot goes in and she's like, Uh you don't mind if I steal her. None of those people are ever paid. They're just other rich people that essentially volunteer to be friends with the Queen
1: they're not paid although they do get some sort of compensation they do get like free trips and like certain things and they get lots of gifts but there's so many assistants personal secretaries like there is a bureaucracy surrounding when they talk about talking to the palace those are all paid palace people like there's so many people whose jobs depend on the monarchy because
3: they're they're full-time in all of those houses too if they're not
2: there right i mean
1: when one of the interesting things I read in when in, in the Meghan Markle book was in Finding Freedom was about how like when she got engaged, she suddenly had like a cook, a maid, like a dresser,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and those people are full time employees. So anyway. Right. it's
0: like all the trappings.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. like they're talking family. about. I think they're talking about protecting their entitlement and their children's entitlement to that oh, continued yeah. lifestyle.
3: Oh, of course.
0: I would like to give my thoughts on the season. Yeah, sorry. I do uh no, it was great. I'll make it short because I truthfully just found this season I thought it was interesting, but I found it to be pretty black and white in the sense that you like Andrew was saying, like Charles was the bad guy, Diana was given like the better edit, and she looked like she just fell into this awful marriage with this like awful man. Whereas I guess I preferred the earlier seasons because I think I saw, I think Philip was a little bit more than like one dimensional, if you will, and their marriage just had a lot more, I don't know depth to it. Even their struggles seemed like a lot more real and how they like push through those struggles. and, And I get, Excuse me, I almost got choked up there. Wow. And I guess I just, like, yeah, it was just like, okay, so Charles is an asshole. Diana's kind of a little bit, like, idiotic for marrying him, but now she's just, like, a big baby about the whole thing. That's obviously yeah. a painting with broad strokes, but that's just, I don't know. I, I think I just preferred, like, the marital struggles of the Queen and Prince Philip.
3: Yeah.
1: I thought that they actually portrayed Charles in a much more sympathetic light than i guess you guys interpreted in my opinion it seemed like they really showed how much he loved camilla how much he struggled with having to marry essentially diana like how much he like really was caught under the fire of his family pressures right. and like when he the scene where there's the fireworks and he's standing oh, yeah, by the was, window yeah. and he's weeping right. about having to get married to diana uh-huh. essentially and queen elizabeth basically tells him to suck it up and marry her, and that he will eventually love her. That was horrible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The coldness from the family, like, the whole dynamic about how they don't really hold their children, or they're not super warm and cuddly with them. I don't know if that was ever overtly talked about, but I feel like that was a theme. Oh, absolutely. like, how little they were, like... (laughs) Doted on and like, or at least like loved in a very like tender, warm way. Like, I, I found that to be interesting. But I guess as far as Charles is concerned, after every single episode would end, like, I felt ill because it was just like, I could never be married to a man like that. Like, while they did show the nuance of him loving Camilla and being like very torn in that way, there's just a part of me that had no sympathy for him. It was just like, you knew this was going to be your life always.
2: I don't
3: know. Yeah. I, I think there's a certain aspect for me. Where obviously the royal family did an awful thing because the thing is, do you know why the reason, do you know why he w- essentially wasn't allowed to marry Camilla in the first place?
1: Isn't it because she wasn't aristocratic. Yeah.
3: They didn't think she was aristocratic enough. Enough. But the biggest part was that they considered her too experienced, which meant she'd
0: been with too many men. Like
3: she had a job. Oh, like she, had been, like she had a real job. I think she was like teaching painting or something like that. But essentially, they were afraid of somebody being headstrong. They wanted somebody that they basically could, could control. Yeah. And when you think about it, too, I mean, the the age difference and everything. I mean, she was like 19. Like, this is like mm-hmm. essentially child trafficking. That's right. what it like. They're trying to groom somebody. And there's all yes. those rumors about like Prince Andrew and like
2: mm-hmm. being connected to. Scene.
3: Scene and all of mm-hmm. it, I just—it's so nuts. And that's kind of the thing that I, I was thinking about was, even though this is a TV show, I wonder really what the inside of the that family really is like.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Queen I think,
3: is just like unknowable.
1: I think that they've portrayed it completely accurately. As someone with no insider knowledge, I, I do believe that they are just very cold. I think that like everything that they have shown, it's based on things that are publicly available knowledge, like the fact that when the queen came back from her tour and not having seen her children, I believe for six months or something like that, or maybe, I don't know, it was like three to six months, she shook their hands. And this was publicly yeah. recorded. There is like a distinct coldness in that family.
3: yeah,
1: And very much like a, a belief in duty and having a stiff upper lip. And so I think that this is probably like a highly accurate portrayal.
0: Olivia Coleman did the best job, like portraying oh, that because yeah. she was fantastic, like at being oh, yeah. the coldest like mother. But also, Fun. you sympathized with her. I don't mm-hmm. know
3: the the uh, acting that she can do with just her face. One of my favorite. Ugh. So I also wanted. I forgot to say this. I watched the entire season yesterday.
1: <laughs> you did, <laughs> guys. Put it in the stream
3: single episode yesterday except for so I've already seen it I didn't watch the fifth episode all the way which is where the man breaks in because I watched their interaction but if I wanted to watch like poor people I could just go look in the mirror so I like (laughs) so I skipped over the part where he was being actively poor one of the best parts of Olivia Coleman's performance in this because I want to get your read on some performances too Mm -hmm. was they're having their interaction and the they take them away. The lady comes back in and she goes like, how about some that cup of tea? And the door yeah. closes. And in just the way that her face shifts right. is just, I think, just like a really cool piece of acting. Yeah. I, I, I can't be like, and it was Oscar nominated. Like, I just but thought it was really no,
0: cool. No, I think you just saw a briefly human moment from her. Yeah. And she's yeah. basically the entire time, the entire show has not been human.
3: There is a roboticness to it, totally. Where you know that there's like a processor in there that is yeah. like working very feverishly, but it's not telling you anything.
0: And I, th- I think you see her, you you see her go through these emotions, and you like are like cheering her on, and you're like, please hug Charles, tell him it's going to be okay, or do this right. or that, and then and you see her exercise restraint mentally and walk out of the room.
3: The other performance was the actor who played Diana. I just there's if there's one thing that I don't think exists or that i yes. thought that she did really well yeah was she just got like that she got the accent down she sounds just like diana like oh gosh mm-hmm. but also the looks right <sighs> where she doesn't actually ever look straight ahead at anything like there is no right. driver's license mm-hmm. picture of diana in real life looking straight at a camera right her like her right. whole life was head turned sideways yeah
0: and also, I, like looking out from under her hair.
3: Yeah, I can imagine like Diana, like at the driver's license agency, and they're like, "Ma'am, you <laughs> need to look at the <laughs> camera. <Dana. laughs> Please look straight ahead." And she goes, "Oh gosh, oh gosh. oh gosh. <laughs> just sideways, All moves, right. and it takes like very much in love. Yeah, very much in love, whatever that means.
0: That part I didn't realize that was real because that was like well, really yes. drawing to me. Yes,
1: I actually whatever think that. that means. So I. I've listened to some other interviews about the crown and what some people said is that that when he said that, that that was just like a very British thing to say. It was just like not in vogue, especially for someone in the monarchy to be like very ostentatious with their love. And mm. so, and at the time she doesn't really, I think know about Camilla yet and yeah. or at least it, yeah, it has, not I think that the Camilla she really figured out about Camilla after they got engaged. And so anyway, I think that, I think that when when that happened, I don't think she registered it as like this horrible thing he said.
3: Yeah, I and I don't think it was
1: seen <clears throat> that way either.
3: It but probably, it's like you yeah, look back through the lens of
1: knowing what happened, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, right. that's terrible."
3: There also is another like really interesting photo that totally changed contextually after everything got out. And it's very early on, right after they had been engaged, and he goes to leave for six weeks. And there's this photo of her crying at the airport, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, she's going to miss him. And it, she's actually sobbing because she had just found yes. the bracelet yeah. and right. actually yeah. figured Camilla out right. and knew that he had that he was doing that to her.
0: It's no. just awful. It- It made me sick the whole time. It made me sick because it was just like two people whose like youth and I don't know, like their first chance, like a big love, just totally being spoiled. Yeah.
1: I feel like, I feel like they're probably going to get to it in the next seasons with the new actress who plays Diana. But Diana was not just like reft with an eating disorder. She, she tried to commit suicide four times, not like true attempts, but like once while she was pregnant, just yeah, throw yourself downstairs. downstairs. Like imagine having imagine being in a state of mind where you throw yourself downstairs. I can't right. even fathom that.
0: But then like you think about being in that big empty palace all day long with nobody who understands you, nobody who even tries, and, and your only family doesn't care. You can't even she couldn't even get through to the queen. The queen didn't even want to take a meeting with her.
3: Yeah. And the other thing too about Diana is that her entire life she struggled with her family so like her mom when her parents got divorced her mom like basically had to abandon ship because she's like royal adjacent like they were like the earl of althorpe or whatever like your kids ain't going nowhere Mm -hmm. if you want out like you leave and it doesn't matter if you're the mom or the dad like the royal person gets to keep the kids
0: and i listened to a podcast that said like when she would go visit her mom on the weekend like her mom would just be a wreck
3: like really? it was not like
0: a peaceful like transition where she could just go be with her mom and live with her dad in the countryside. Like her mom would just be like totally up- upended like all day yeah. long.
2: Yeah.
3: Oh yeah. So she's, Diana's just is this broken person that mm-hmm. then is she's already broken. Right. It's, there's no strength whatsoever there to like meet the moment of like right. really doing it. And I actually think that's why long-term like, where she, that's why she's the people's princess. It's like the only thing that could love her was the public. And then right. what she did. And she did some incredible things. I love the part of the episode when she goes to New York and she hugs that, like the baby with AIDS. Yeah. That was a, yes. that was a real thing. And it actually did move uh-huh. things for the AIDS crisis. Like she did a lot.
1: Ugh. So, right. Okay, so, but then she goes back and Charles accuses her of basically being performative. Right. And I thought that was really interesting. And I'm wondering if you guys think that, do you think that there was a side of Diana who, do you think she was as pure hearted as the public assumed? Or do you think there was a part of her that... Played into the role of the demonstrative people's princess.
0: I mean, she, whatever side of her played into it, it was deserving because she had never been shown like true on un- a, like unconditional love before. Yeah.
3: There also, I opinion. mean, the, like how they called her Dutch because she was like aspiring to bigger things, which I don't understand how, what Dutch means in that no context. But yeah. that's, <laughs> that's what they said. I think she was very aspirational. I think she wanted the, those things. She wanted that celebrity and yeah. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. Like right. she went for it and she got it. And I think the vehicle was not a great vehicle for it, but it definitely got her there in the end.
0: Also, she I... scored no brownie points by being demure, like inside the palace. Like it's not like people were like true. coming to her aid in that way.
3: The I think... royal family wasn't going to do anything for her anyway. Right.
1: I think it's so interesting when you see how incredibly, and this is kind of moving away from the crown because they don't really show it that much, but when you see how incredibly tactile she was with William and Harry Uh and how she was just such a incredibly physical mother in that way and so loving, the complete opposite of the royal family. And then you see Prince Harry, like she dies and Prince Harry and prince william are essentially now they're just in the cold world of the windsors mm-hmm. and i think it's interesting that harry essentially mary went on to marry and find a woman who's basically exactly like his mother in terms of warmth in terms of candor in terms right. of interest and right yeah i really think Meghan markle is very much like a modern day princess diana totally ju- even just in her physicality and the and and the way she's just so not british like he didn't marry someone with a stiff upper lip he married someone who like had a lot of big feelings
3: and isn't that interesting that if you think about their exit from that how he must have been like yeah this is not going to destroy no my wife like it destroyed Mm -hmm. my mother He has
1: talked about before how he blames the tablets not only for the crash, but for the fact that they took pictures while she was dying inside. Like, potentially, the reporters could have pulled her out of the car or something or tried to help her. Oh, she was literally
0: dying inside the car. Yes.
1: And they were taking pictures as she was dying.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So I think that he truly, like, hates the
0: press. Now, my question is, are, are you trying to draw the comparison to William. Do you think William married like a very traditional British like do you think Kate Middleton is like another cold Windsor?
1: I do. I do. Kate Middleton seems to me to be very stiff, right. very calculated and she doesn't have that resonance or that warmth that Diana does. But William is a rule follower and he's also right. he's not oh, he's not the Margaret They're much more to Elizabeth. Out, right?
3: Mm-hmm. They seem to be much more, you know, and it, it makes sense. Knowing that you know, like he is the heir, and you know the one that is going to follow, and you know becoming king, it would make sense that the duty bound and the tradition is going to be more important. I think that with examples like Margaret or like Anne or even like Edward and Andrew, like all of them that are just train wrecks generally, and Charles is a train wreck too. But in their personal lives, it's because they're. Because everything that they do all goes back to the crown, but at the same time, they don't matter at right.
0: all. Right. They don't know what Margaret speaks to this. Like She doesn't have a role to occupy. She doesn't have anything to do. She's in this prison of like limbo where she is bound by duty, but she also right. has no real role to fulfill.
3: She doesn't have anything to do because yeah. there's only one person that can be the queen. Yeah. What did you guys think of... We haven't talked about Margaret Thatcher at all. I was
0: sh- Oh, I actually... Okay, go ahead with Margaret Thatcher. Then I want to talk about Princess Margaret again.
1: Okay. <laughs> um, okay, I, I want to make a note about Olivia Coleman's acting in, compared to Gillian Anderson's. Okay. okay. Because, so apparently, and this is something I learned in another interview I was watching, but apparently Olivia Coleman is, like, an extremely casual actor. Like, she reads the script on the way to the set, like, in the taxi. God, I love it. And... That basically doesn't know what she's doing until the day of and like it's just like unstudied like she doesn't even know where the scene is in re- in relation to like other scenes it almost seemed like irresponsibly unprepared yeah. but the director said in an interview he said if you are condemned to do a one-take movie he said hire olivia coleman because she gets it right the first time every time wow Very incredible. And he said, Julian Anderson is the opposite. Like she's extremely studied is prepares for years, essentially. And I felt that in their performances, Olivia Coleman seems extremely natural, like the spitting image of the queen and just, just incredibly instinctive. And for me, the performance of Margaret Thatcher by Julian Anderson, it was a little jarring at first and seemed almost overly done and like perhaps a little too overacted. Now, I think I, that only lasted for a minute and maybe I, that was just like reacting to how Margaret I mean, Thatcher is just very interesting right. physically. But yeah, I thought that I thought that was interesting because it definitely bore out in their performances.
3: Yeah. I think it was really close cuz I think Margaret Thatcher really was like that. Really? I mean, her vo- yeah, if you go and watch any videos of her or like Watch the scene where she's leaving Downing Street. It's like oh, you you could overlay them on top of each other. Yeah, and-
0: maybe this reveals that I'm not a great historian or like person that cares about history. But I just found the Margaret Thatcher like bits to be really boring. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I thought the Balmoral stuff was cool, but that was about it.
3: I mean, for her to go to Balmoral and like totally beat biff it, it? Bomb. yeah, no. <laughs>
2: so funny. Um, her husband you know, was great. Her yeah. Husband
3: was great, a great foil for her, and. If you watch just the one of my favorite parts of Margaret Thatcher, and I want to believe so badly that this was just like improvised. But at the end where she gives her the order of merit, I just want to I just want to believe that Gillian Anderson actually had a line of dialogue, but then just decided, like, I'm just gonna walk away and see what happens. <laughs> Cause it's I was so plucked by the fact that she's like, here's the the biggest order. She's like, may I? And you know, puts it on, and she right. just walks out of the room.
2: Just like, I bye! Thought,
0: bye! I know that restraint. It's just, like, their constant, like, mis- like misalignment of personalities was really interesting to watch. Also seeing, like, them them both as, like, they both weren't really, like, the Queen isn't a terribly likable character, and Margaret Thatcher wasn't a terribly likable character. And, and just right. the differences in how they were both, like, occupied that same space was interesting to me.
3: Yeah, I think there's, like, they brought humanity to those characters, even mm-hmm. though both of them happen to do some, of you know, what we know are some pretty inhumane things to other right. people.
1: Tell me, okay. So, and to this, just
3: save themselves, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What, when it comes to, so I think this speaks to the fact that I don't know that much about British history. I believe America is number one. And so I really haven't like delved that deeply into it I know about the royal family but not necessarily like British geopolitical history and so my question for you is they're like throughout the season they're talking about they're basically painting Margaret Thatcher as unsympathetic to a depressed Britain and wanting Britain to pull itself up by its own bootstraps wanting those people to help themselves not wanting to for to give any sort of handouts of true conservative in that way. And I'm curious, what do you have any insight into that general period? What was happening in the background in the UK? Because this is where I think Chandler and I could use a little education.
3: Yeah, so <clears throat> just very generally, like all of her, her politics were referred to as thatcherism. And mm-hmm. you mentioned like true conservative. It's it's a little bit different conservatism in the UK versus conservatism here, at least at that time, the conservatives you see this in the crown a little bit. They're like, we move slowly. We think a lot about things. Like it was this party of kind of just like really privileged people saying, let's not move the needle too much. Mm -hmm. And prior to Margaret Thatcher, so they would already had, they already had national healthcare from the NHS. There were a lot of industries that were, controlled and really heavily regulated by the government. So like the energy industries, a lot of like the food production industries, those are all under the government where you have the union jobs and all of that, she really pushed and deregulated a lot of those and privatized a lot of those businesses. And so when those businesses then transfer over to not having to stick to the rules and regulations of the government, then they're going purely for profit. And so that's why okay. unemployment grows, And then when unemployment goes, then you start to get inflation and you get all of these different things. But she was so determined that she would basically yank the bottle out for Britain and make it like self-reliant. And, you know, they will do this. And you see like in the show, she talks about her dad all the time, which low-key obsessed, kind of embarrassing for her. Like, oh my dad. Okay, <laughs> Daddy, we get it. You,
0: you love your dad.
3: <laughs> yeah. Whatever. You hate your you have mommy issues. Okay, um,
2: blah blah blah.
3: Yeah. But essentially that's it, right? Is the deregulation and she just like ripped it real fast. It caused a lot of long-term problems.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I could have used this lesson before I watched the show because I it was hard Talking for me to even understand. News. Like, no. <laughs> I'm like, "Andrew, I see why you read Wikipedia every night." But like, I I guess I truly didn't understand like the, the climate of British history at that time. And so I just could have used this before watching it because I basically like tuned out like everything she was talking about.
2: Sorry.
1: Oh, this is what mm. I wanted to say. What I read was that essentially, and this is really interesting, the aristocrats and the upper class in Britain in that time, and Andrew, you can tell me if this is accurate, what I, if, if this is a correct reading, but they had this feeling that they actually were responsible for everyone. And there was this attitude that, especially with the queen, like we take care of the the people who are beneath us in class because yeah. that's, we have stewardship over them as the aristocrats. And Margaret Thatcher, what she was trying to do was completely upend that. And she was trying to make it so that people have mobilization through society. Yeah.
3: Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean there's parliament which she was the prime minister but there's also the house of lords in the government and it's the upper house and until very recently all of those titles in there were hereditary so it basically was all of the rich families were basically the house of lords
1: interesting okay
2: Man.
3: and if you yeah. think about if you think about like how the queen views her role or what you think the role is it is like that you are supposed to preside over and take care of the common folk. And obviously Margaret Thatcher was a Royalist in the sense that she liked, she was a monarchist. She supported having the monarchy, but it's really clear that she wanted the queen to know, like I'm the one calling the shots in the country.
0: As they both hedged their, or I don't know if hedged is the right word, but as they both sort of like stood their ground and like, within their jurisdictions and domains. Like that was those face-offs were interesting to watch. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you guys care if we talk about Princess Margaret for a second? And hello about Carter.
2: I mean, Maybe I love Vanessa after. Kirby
0: from last season. I thought I don't know why, but like I know why, because it was beautiful, but like her falling in love last season was one of my favorite things you mean I've seen. Two. Yeah, sorry, season two. It was one of the my most favorite things I've ever seen on TV. I just thought it was so lovely and, but also dark and sad. And and I think like seeing her this season, I, I, it was also just so tragic. And, and I just love the scenes where she goes to her, like that Island randomly and, and she flashes back to better days. Like I, yeah, I don't know how you she guys spent, about her character.
3: She spent a lot of her later life on that Island. It was like the little retreat. Cause it was just mm-hmm. like where she could get away. And I feel like she really captured the tragedy that really was like, this was pretty public that Margaret, she was cold. She was not nice to people. She chain smoked and drank and like just right. had this gaff attitude, but inside was just totally tortured, yeah which is um, very public and common knowledge about her yeah. and about her life and how it ended, which is just, it's it's really such a bummer because especially the way that Helena Bonham Carter plays her, She's one of the most interesting people in that family.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I personally think that the crown could do with a very demonstrative, like, feeling queen. And I actually think that if Princess Margaret had been queen, she would have done an excellent job as queen. I think that Elizabeth is very dutiful, but she's so stoic and so boring. And I think that, like, actually, imagine if someone with, Princess Margaret's sensibilities with Princess Diana's sensibilities they actually ascended to the crown. I just think right. that I think that the people would respond so much to to those figures in the they same way so they responded to Diana. Yeah. Yeah.
3: The Queen now, Elizabeth is very well loved. But it is interesting because she is well loved as like an institution and a tradition. Not because of anything that anybody specifically knows about her. Like the only things that we ever really learn about her personality is like her favorite drink is a gin and Dubonnet and like, okay, but we really don't know what the queen is like around her own family.
0: Personable about her or relatable.
3: Exactly. What
1: I
2: thought
3: was
1: interesting was when Princess Margaret, when they were sitting on the fire before Charles marries Diana and Princess Margaret basically warns them in the crown Mm -hmm. and says, this marriage is not going to work out. This is a disaster. Right. and 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 that's, I think, the scene where Elizabeth exits and goes and stocks talks to Charles as the fireworks are going off and he starts crying, or it's revealed yep. he's crying. I think it's interesting that Elizabeth still insisted that he married Diana. And that he was duty bound by who he married, while Elizabeth married her the one she wanted to when her family wasn't in favor of the marriage. Isn't that kind
0: of like fascinating?
3: That is interesting. I didn't, I've never even really I don't know thought the full
0: that. story about her. I also don't know the full story between her and Philip.
1: Philip was not deemed royal enough, I believe. Mm-hmm. Even though he has like very much royal lineage,
2: yeah,
1: yeah, (laughs) and the family was not approving of that union. They in season one, they allude to it quite a bit, especially in the pilot. But and Elizabeth like won him, or not won him, but she won that argument. She got her, got everyone to get on board and forced him through, basically because she. Because she was first in line, it was pushed through that she could marry who she wanted to marry. Right, and so I guess I just think it's interesting that she didn't give her son the same, yeah, leeway. Yeah,
0: it's just weird. Like they bend the rules for some, and then you know it's super black and white, duty bound or nothing. Right. But I actually found I'll take back what I said about the queen. Like back slightly, I'll take what I said back slightly. Because I do think that her tenderness towards Princess Margaret, especially in like the later years of their like friendship and like sisterhood was actually very sweet. Like when Princess Margaret tries to, I think, commit suicide, she overdoses in some way. I'm thinking the beginning of the season, that was a very tender real side of the queen that we'd never seen before.
2: Mm -hmm. So that part was
0: nice.
3: I feel like, the, those relationships right it's, you saw this in the show as well there's the queen's inner circle like there's cu- the queen the queen mother margaret and anne and diane is never included in that no. right or like any of the other who was it that andrew married that
2: famous?
3: <laughs> or whatever yeah like i i would imagine that her circle probably isn't much bigger than that. There maybe are a couple of I know that there's like a couple of friends. There was like a famous memoir that was just that just came out not too long ago about one of the ladies in waiting and her friends. Oh Lauren, with the Queen. you read that?
1: Yeah I did. It's called Lady in Waiting.
3: What did you like what did that reveal about the Queen or was it just like a the Queen is nice?
1: She's best friends with Margaret. And so I think and also the um the woman Anne, who wrote it, she is portrayed in the Crown as as the one who has the house in, on
3: Mystique. Did you,
1: so? Oh. I don't know if you guys realize that, but that's actually oh, so. That lady person. in Waiting was about oh, I didn't was know about
3: that. Margaret. I thought Lady in Waiting was about the Queen.
1: No, Lady in Waiting is about the best friend of Princess Margaret. She's Princess Margaret's lady in waiting, not the ah, Queen's. Okay. And she's yeah. her best friend. And she's the one who has the House on Mystique that they go to visit. She's, like, literally a character in The Crown. She's, like, that yeah. friend of Margaret's who's, like, blonde or yeah. whatever. Um, yeah. So she's a very firm royalist. Uh, and she is she's very anti-Meghan Markle, has made some derisive comments about Meghan Markle Love it. in the media. And so she would never, like she just basically has towed the party line about the queen and just says the queen is like very wonderful and duty-bound and be yeah, us news. Yeah. But nothing. nothing. She made this comment about Meghan Markle and basically said that she thinks Meghan Markle thought it would... She thinks that Meghan Markle thought that being a princess would be like a fairy tale and really it just is boring and a lot of like events you have to go to. So I thought that was funny. Like basically saying that <laughs> Meghan Markle like wasn't like right? a hard like royal worker and she says that Princess Margaret... Was a very like hard royal worker. So,
2: I just think that's funny.
3: It's like the snottiest thing you could say, right? Oh, you thought being a princess was just going to be being a princess. I don't think Meghan Markle or Harry would have ever let her agree to get married without him, without her understanding. You know, like realm of
0: the duties, and
3: it's so obvious, right? Because you can watch all of this on TV. Mm -hmm. So, like Meghan Markle. TV personality yeah also oh, activist, she has no idea Right, and was like Ugh, can't wait to retire to that castle like the royal she, she family knew.
1: when we think about the royal family we think about seeing them at ribbon cutting ceremonies at like food Their They literally, literally all they do is go and go to little like service projects right. like public service projects so I don't think that she had any sort of I don't know like any sort of illusions Delusion. that her life yeah. would just be like Getting served breakfast in bed and then like picking out gowns. No, and-
3: really, truly, the media was so awful in how they write. And th- what's so fascinating to me about this piece of British culture, if you, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with some of the scandals that have happened in the last few years about like journalists like wiretapping and like stealing mm. people's text messages. The no. industry there is like honest, it's honestly horrific how powerful the papers and the tabloids are in the United Kingdom so the people that own those businesses are people that have a direct influence on government they there have been like confirmed reports of people saying they're basically extorting the government and saying you have to do this or you're going to get your we're going to lose you we're going to make you lose your job and so that's just a flavor yeah look up like I'll try and find this. Is it like the it Sun
0: or like, or like Daily yeah. Mail?
3: hmm All of those. Um, truly like nefarious organizations. And so if they decide that they don't like something or they want something to change, they'll just say whatever they want to say. But then they also do awful things. Like they'll break into your house. They'll oh steal gosh. things. There's an interview with a famous British actor. And I think it was like on NPR or something. I'll try and find it and send it to you. But it's truly horrific what they do. And they were horrible to Meghan Markle. So no wonder. And so for somebody to be like, yeah, she just couldn't hack it because she thought she was just going to be a princess. It's like, it's so far from the truth in my mind.
1: Well, and in the same way that Diana found no refuge in that family, like the family was cold to her too. Kate Middleton never was anything but icy polite to Meghan Markle. In the two years that she was a working member Mm -hmm. of the royal family, like that in itself should be indication enough that family is seriously sick
2: young
3: yeah. Andrew, you I'm really
0: impressed that. with your knowledge. I'm like, you weren't kidding.
3: I've young person who thought Diana was effortlessly gorgeous and whatever. Uh, I mean, I, I do love this show. I think this season was not it necessarily all the way for me. It was really good. It just wasn't mm-hmm. my
2: favorite. Yeah. I yeah. love
3: watching it. I like I watched it the whole thing yesterday and was highly entertained. And I'm excited to see because how far are they going with the crown? Oh, they're going that, to, to two day. more seasons. No, going not to two more seasons, day. but not. Yeah, they're day. going to.
0: They won't do... Oh yeah, because I think there's like some drama with Meghan Markle. Like she can't. They can't do the Meghan Markle thing because they like own some of Netflix or something like that. I don't ah. know. I heard that. So somewhere. we might
3: not get that far. I just feel like even well, basically in the future seasons, it's going to center around Charles and Diana, and. I can't wait for them to just be actual separate entities that aren't screaming at each other all the time. I am excited right. to see Diana go and do all of her charity stuff solo. I am excited to... I'm uh, not excited, but it'll be interesting to see how they manage her death. I know. I mean... And I think we'll get to Camilla, but also... I'll just say it. I think Camilla sucks.
0: Camilla sucks.
3: She Very just kept... She was there the whole time, and yes, she was in love. They were in love with each other, but the damage that was being done
2: mm-hmm.
3: to the monarchy with what they were doing the whole time, I think, is just selfish. And, and she had her own family too. Woman,
1: I just don't think any woman could resist.
0: Really?
3: Yeah,
1: I mean, if the prince of if the if the heir to the throne was in love with you, I think you're going to carry out a love affair with him
0: forever. Even knowing, Basically.
3: but knowing that you wouldn't ever, because like, what well,
1: the Shit, there, was. there is. That's it. <laughs> that's like the pinnacle of sexy, of fun, of so exciting. Like the king, future king of England, he only wants you. He loves you, especially when you're like also kind of homely. Like you're. Oh, you think that you're going to be like, oh no. What is this going to do to the crown? I don't think so.
3: <laughs> I that's mean, true. I mean, that's a fair. good point, but just the same, not a fan. Never was.
1: I'm excited to see Diana not as a docile, innocent, kind of like doe-eyed,
0: Re- deer like, in the headlights,
1: deer in the headlights yeah. girl. I'm excited
3: because knowing what she's doing.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, I want to see Diana like more in her power more as a free agent so I think that'll be really interesting because I when I think of Diana I think of like 30s Diana I don't think of a 19 year old nanny no. cleaner anyway Chandler I know you have to go
2: yeah okay let's wrap up
1: okay.
0: Andrew this has been such a delight you're a delight a joy a f- true friend and an even better well you're a great royal correspondent and an even better <laughs> friend I was about to mix those two up
3: Thank you. I love you guys. I hope that there's maybe another time. This was super fun. I'd love to come back and talk about, we can talk about more royal stuff or other things that I am an expert in. Like currently in this year, like loungewear, day drinking. If you want to talk about that, I don't know.
2: Yeah.
3: I'm like, I'm available. Yeah. Oh, crystal light. Hell yeah.
1: We'd love to have (laughs) you back. It'd be so fun.
3: All right, guys. Thank you. I love you guys. I, I love, love you too. To you too.
1: And love you listeners. Thank you so much for listening and we'll chat with you next week. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.
0: That's all for now, folks. Don't forget, give us a
1: five-star review. Hit us up on Instagram at Pop Apologists, and we will see you next week, live every Wednesday.
0: And work to help you stop shooting all over yourself with the expectations society can put on us. Tune in every Monday to Shrink Chicks on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to follow along and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Prepare to learn all about you because, in order to grow yourself, you gotta know yourself.